It's uh, three, one to four, uh, and I would encourage you to read along with me. Uh, Paul's word to the Colossian church, it says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly, thing, earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together this morning as we, as we get into our message. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for Jesus who we're going to talk about this morning, his work for us. Lord, we pray for our hearts that you would prepare our hearts for your message, that you would guide us, that you would sharpen our minds. God, that most of all, we would fall more and more deeply in love with Jesus, our Savior. And because of that, that we would be transformed through his gospel. We pray for these words going forth this morning, that you would work through them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're heading into uh, the home stretch of Colossians, the last few chapters. Uh, Paul now begins, you'll notice there's a transition in the letter. He begins to move towards the practical implications of our faith in our everyday life. We focused a ton over the past month and a half on who? Jesus, right? Jesus and the work of Christ and how that's better than anything that the world has to offer. But now Paul is going to transition in, what does that mean for you and how do you live in light of what Jesus has done for you? This sermon serves as a a transition to, to the finish line of Paul's instruction on Christian life. The first four verses of of this chapter, chapter three, reveal to us an important tension in our present condition, our present uh, physical state and our present spiritual state. And so I want to ask you this question. Have you ever sat too close to the TV? Has anybody ever sat too close to the TV? I can remember growing up, and I would get really close to the TV, and what would your mama say to you, right? Back up, you're going to ruin your eyes. Okay? And, and she could say that to me 15 times. It's just like my son, when he gets out of the shower and I tell him to wipe down all the water off the floor, and then the next day when he takes a shower, there's water all over the floor again. We don't listen. Mama used to tell me every day, what? Back up from the TV, you're going to ruin your eyes. Okay? When we stand too close to the TV, what does the picture look like? What, are, what is the picture in the TV made up of? Little dots, right? Pixels. Okay? Little dots make up this full picture. It's like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, this new art form coming out where they have little pictures and they're all connected to get, together. And when you back up and you look at the whole of all these pictures together, it makes one larger picture, right? You guys seen that, that kind of art? And so we know that a TV, when you get too close to it, it's, there's little pixels that make up uh, the picture. The picture on a TV is, is made up of millions and millions of tiny dots, in much the same way, we can, we can approach Scripture by focusing on the smallest of dots, the smallest of details, or being caught up in, in one story without seeing the whole of how God's redemptive plan plays out throughout the whole of His Scripture. 
We miss the forest for the trees, right? We get into one little thing and we're missing all that God is saying throughout His Old and New Testaments. Okay, it's why uh, as the lead minister of this church, when we go through the Bible, we're going to go through New Testament books. We're going to go through Old Testament books. We're going to go through Gospels because we want to see God speaking through the whole counsel of His Word. Does that make sense? But many times we get caught in just focusing on these small little details and we miss the whole picture of what God has in store for us uh, in His Scripture. We can't move into the practical implications of Christ's work that Paul is going to present in our everyday life without first investigating the spiritual and physical impact of Jesus within our lives. You see, Paul in this passage is talking about Christ having a spiritual and a physical influence on us. You see, Jesus bodily came, and I love using this word, he invaded history. He came into history, forever changing those who would become his followers. We have a room full of his followers right here today. Both spiritually and ultimately what? Physically. Both spiritually and physically. And in light of this, our first focus this morning is on spiritual change. We're talking about spiritual change and physical change. Point one, our spiritual identity has been changed. Our spiritual identity has been changed. I hope you guys can bear with me this morning because we're going to dance around through Scripture a little bit this morning. So let's turn to uh, the book of Romans. If you turn to the left a little bit, we're going to turn to Romans 8. I catch myself, I was just about to say, this is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, but I think I say that every single week. (laughs) It's all good. (laughs) I did. I love it. I love God's Word. Romans 8, 1-4. Listen to these beautiful words. Therefore, there is now, what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We could just stop right there and sing, right? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Identity. Right? Our spiritual identity has been changed when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We hear this word identity. What does that word mean? I looked up the handy uh, Webster's Dictionary.com definition. According to Webster, identity is the condition of being the same with something. Described or asserted. The same with something. You see, our spiritual identity, when we place our faith in Jesus, 
unites us with Christ. Our identity is united with Jesus on a spiritual level. Paul describes this for us. He says, again at the beginning of this passage, therefore there is now, what? No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Why? The passage goes on and explains to us. Because God entered history, right? He invaded history physically, bodily, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Taking on flesh and fulfilling the demands of the law. And he has set you, for those of you who have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he has set you free so that we, we don't have to live according to the flesh. We can live aligned with our, our spiritual identity, which is rooted in the work of Christ. He overcame sin for us, and he gave us his righteousness. We're spiritually identified with this work of Christ through faith. Through faith in what he has done. The next question is, well, how, how is this accomplished? How did we overcome sin through Christ? It was through the sacrifice of Jesus. His death on the cross. Taking on the punishment for our lack of ability. You see, we brought nothing to the table in the relationship with Christ. The only thing that we bring to the table is our sin and our brokenness. Christ does everything for us. He took on the punishment for our, our own lack of ability to fulfill what God had called us to do, to be righteous, to live in light of His law. Christ did that for us. How was this accomplished? Through Jesus' perfect life and his death on the cross. He covers our sin. And we receive that gift when we place our faith and trust in his work. And there's two aspects we want to focus on this morning of our spiritual identity highlighted in Paul's letter to the, to the Colossian Christians. The first one. We identify with the death of Christ. Okay, so our, our spiritual identity is rooted in Christ, but we also identify with the death of Christ. Colossians 3, 3, three words. Paul says this, what? For you died. In what way have we died? Right, look around the room. Are people breathing around you? I hope. Or we better call the ambulance, right? Everybody's breathing in the room. Everybody's alive. Hearts are working. We have not physically died. This room is full of people, who, right, who are living and breathing. But rather the desires of our flesh have died in our union with Christ spiritually. The desires of our flesh, the desire to sin has died in our union with Christ spiritually. This is brought about the moment that our faith and trust is placed in Jesus Christ. We identify with the death of Christ. It was that moment that, that you became so aware of your sin, so aware of your rebellion against God. You saw the beauty of, 
of the work of Christ and his perfect life, death, and his resurrection that you chose to place your faith and trust in his work, his work on your behalf, humbly saying this. This is hard to say. Humbly saying this, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough, Jesus. I need you. I need what what you did. And now I'm ready. Because of that that decision, that, that line in the sand, I am now ready to die to my old self. That's what we're talking about when we identify with the death of Christ. We're dying to our old ways, our fleshly desires, the desire to sin. I'm now ready to die to my old self and put on my new identity. My new identity is who? Jesus. I'm clothed in his righteousness. I'm clothed in his work. The Father looks down even in the midst of our continual sin and brokenness because even though we've, we've died to sin, it still taints our life. And the Father still looks at you and he sees the righteousness of Christ covering you. Our new identity is in Christ. And yet, many of you feel the tension, my, myself included, the tension of our physical and our spiritual state clashing together. Right? Spiritually, we're, we're aligned with Christ. We're aligned with the work of Christ. We've been covered by His blood. God has given His Spirit within us that's, that's rubbing against our, our sinful flesh. And we feel the tension of that, don't we? The flesh and the spirit rubbing together. The desires of our flesh, sin, still invade our lives. And oftentimes, we can yield to those desires. I'm going to clue you in on something. I'm a sinner. I'm fallen. I'm not perfect. I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to mess up but I'm still covered by the blood of Christ. And here's the marked difference between somebody who is not in Christ and somebody that is in Christ. It comes from uh, the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. He says this, Though no man is free from the commission of sin. What is he saying there? You're still going to sin. You're still going to mess up. Thank God for His grace that covers my sins, past, present, and future. They're all covered through Christ. He says, though no man or woman is free from the the commission of sin, he says this, yet every converted man is free from what? The love of sin. This is how we die with Christ it's not that we, we don't sin anymore. It's that the love of sin is now absent, hopefully, as we grow in Christ. And I would urge you this morning that you need to check yourself if you have sin in your life that you continue to come back to time and time and time and time again. Do you love that sin more than you love Jesus? 
And I know this is a hard truth. I know it's not popular in the church in America to talk about sin. We want to feel good. We want to have our ears tickled. But here's the bottom line. I'm going to stand before the Lord of the universe and answer for how I preach to you. I'm way more afraid of him than I am of you. So here's what I'm asking you to do this morning. Look at yourself. If you have truly died with Christ, your old ways, are you being freed from the bondage of sin, the love of sin? And hear, hear the tension here. Listen to me. You're not going to be perfect. I'm not saying that. But do you love your sin more than you love Christ? That's when there's a problem. You need to repent. You need to turn back to Jesus. Or maybe you need to walk to Jesus for the first time because you, you've never made that decision to receive His free gift. Do you wrestle with your sin? Is it a struggle? Do you look at the things where you fall short and you say, man, that is ugly. I don't want to do that. I don't want to feel that way when I talk to people. I don't want to be judgmental. I want to be gracious as, as Jesus was gracious. I want to be merciful. Do you wrestle with sin? Your alignment with Christ's death, which atoned for our sin, does not, again, mean that you are sinless in your everyday life, but rather this that you are free from the love of your downfalls. That's the marked difference of a follower of Christ. It's not that you're perfect. It's that you don't love sin in the mo anymore. You love Jesus more. And I ask you this question. Do you desire to put your sin to death in your own life? God has given you the power to overcome sin in your life through the spirit that he has given in you. But you have to desire to love Jesus more. What are ways that we can love Jesus more? Do you fall on your face before him in prayer and submit to him? Do you cry out to him? He is Lord over everything. He is sovereign over all. He is created with His spoken word. Do you fall on your face before Him and pray out to Him and say, God, please, continue to transform me. I want to be more like Jesus. Do you desire to put your sin to death in your own life? And I want to remind you, a few weeks ago I said this, sin isn't just the things that you don't do. There's things that we avoid that are sinful. There's actions that we avoid taking in life that because we're avoiding doing that thing, we're sinning against God. The struggle of the Christian life is that the world can be offensive to us. It can be hard to be around those things, but God has called us just as Jesus came in and invaded the earth. He has called Christians to be on mission with Him. Okay? To be evangelists. To be witnesses. To reflect the love of Christ in our communities. And that doesn't happen when we just shut ourselves away into rooms and don't communicate at all with the world. 
God has called you where you are at in your neighborhood, in your community, to shine a light. When you're at the ball field this afternoon with your kids, you're a light there. God wants you there. God wants you in relationship with those people. And for them to look at you and say, man, there's something different about that person. I want some, I want some of that. I want that peace. I want that joy. God has called you to go into the dark recesses of Shepherdsville and Hillview and whatever other little communities we have around here and be a light. God's called you to be a light in your home. God's called you to be a light in the workplace. It's not just coming in and clocking in and putting in your eight hours and getting out and heading home. God wants you to reflect Jesus in that place. It is not a mistake that you are there. And many times as followers of Christ, we sin against God because we avoid the world at all costs instead of invading the world just as Jesus did. Jesus, his accusation against him was what? He was a friend of who? Sinners. Are you a friend of sinners in your life? Do you shine the light of Christ into the darkness? Or do you hide away in your home, scared of the big bad world? Christ has called you to invade those areas and to shine his light. Number two, the second thing that we identify with. We identify with the resurrection of Christ. We're talking spiritually here. We identify with the resurrection of Christ. Paul says in, in Colossians 3, verse 1, very clearly, seems to be in the present tense. What? So then you have been Raised with Christ. We identify with the resurrection of Christ. Why? Because Paul says this. You have been what? Raised with Him. Because of your spiritual alignment with the death of Christ, you are also identified with the resurrection of Jesus. This is good news. New life. Paul says so. You have been raised with Christ. The shackles of death have been defeated. And this isn't just some distant reality of a physical resurrection in the future. It's happening right now spiritually within you. When you placed your faith and trust in Christ, you died to sin and you were raised to new life in Him. It's the reason why we have to constantly be putting to death the sin in our lives. Because we want to live in light of our new life. It's why we baptize. It shows what? Our death to our old ways and our new life in Christ being brought out of the water. The cleansing of our sin being sealed in Christ. Be freed from the love of the bondage of sin in your life because Christ has not only defeated it through His death, but He has given us new life in His resurrection. They go together. Dead to our old ways, alive in Christ. 
And because Christ is alive, I want to encourage you, live your life. Be joyful. Be peaceful. Be gracious. Be merciful. Be a light. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Be confident in your new life. Be confident in your spiritual resurrection with Christ that He has given us the good news that we have been freed from the bondage of sin. We have been freed from the penalty of sin and death and raised to new life in Jesus. The beauty of God's plan is that it doesn't end with our our current tension, that, that spiritual, physical tension. doesn't end there. We do not merely sit in a state of of spiritual identity with Christ, but rather God promises. He promises that the physical will change as well. The physical will change as well. I love this morning, I was was sitting in with a group of folks in Sunday school, and, and someone said something about the earth. He said, I hope this isn't all that there is. I hope this isn't the end of it. I'm glad that's not the end of it. God promises that that the physical will change as well. And so our second major point for this morning is that our physical identity will change. Our physical identity will change. Jumping to the end of our passage, Colossians 3, 4 says this, When Christ, who is your life, you see our identity in Christ, He's our life, When Christ, who is your life, appears, what is this saying? When is he going to appear? His second coming. Okay, let's unpack that a second. How can we be assured of the second coming of Christ? Because he came the first time. Thank you, Ron. And he did exactly what he said he was going to do, which was that he would die on the cross for our sin and that he would what? He would resurrect to new life. I'm going to take the word of the person who said, I'm going to die and I'm going to come back to life any day over the word of anybody else. So when Christ, who is your life, appears, we can be confident in His second coming because He resurrected from the dead, then you also will appear with Him, what, in sinfulness and brokenness with your messed up body? In what? Glory. Glory. We don't get just stuck in this thing. Thank goodness. We get eternal life with God. It's the reward for following Jesus. The story doesn't end with with spiritual alignment with Jesus. We get the whole thing. We get the physical. There are two points of good news in this verse. The first is the return of Christ. And the second is our alignment and glory with Jesus and our physical resurrection Jesus promises that. We will receive our resurrected, glorified bodies ready to live out all of eternity in the presence 
of the source of all light. Who is the source of all light? Jesus. Just as Jesus physically raised from the dead, we have been given the same promise. And it's spoken about all throughout Scripture, not just here. It's why we have to back out of Scripture and look at the whole counsel of God. Turn in your Bibles to Daniel 12. 12, 1 to 3. This gives us a picture of, of the end. It says this, at, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will rise. There will be a time of distress such as, not, has, oh, such as, as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people... Everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. How do you get into the book? Place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, eternity with Christ. Others to shame and everlasting contempt. That's those who rejected the Savior. You can't have good news without the bad, right? That's the bad news. But the good news is that some will get everlasting life. Verse 3, those who are wise, I would say the wise are the ones that place their faith and trust in Jesus. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. What is Daniel prophesying of here? The resurrection. The story doesn't end with a busted world. doesn't end with a world stuck in rebellion, stuck in darkness, stuck in hurt, stuck in pain. But it ends in what? God's victory. Over the curse of death. Let's connect this to, to John chapter 11. If you want to turn in your Bibles there. Not if you want. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. I'm sure many of you recall this story. The death of Lazarus. We're going to break into the middle of this story. I put the wrong passage, I think, in there. It should be John eleven twenty four. 24. To, we'll go all the way to 27. It says, Martha, or Jesus asks this question. Your brother, or it says to this, your brother will rise again in 23. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Let's pause there. How did she know about the resurrection at the last day? Because of the prophecy in Daniel. She knew. This is not a new concept. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will what? Will never die. 
I love this question. Do you believe this? We see the importance of the resurrection in our faith in Christ. It is crucial. He asked that of Martha. Do you believe this? What does she say? Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. She knew who Jesus was. He was God breaking into history. You see the simplicity of salvation there? We want to complicate it. Brian talked about it last week. We want to add our little rules and regulations, but it is very simply, do you believe? Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe this. I believe that you are the Messiah. This is how we are saved. Jesus, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. I believe. Yes, Lord, I love the simplicity of that statement. That's it. She got it. She understood why Jesus had had come. It was to fulfill that prophecy, to, to usher in the beginning of that. Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection, and we can look forward to physical resurrection. We're not just stuck with spiritual resurrection where we're still fighting against sin. We're still in a a broken, sinful world, but we can look forward to the physical aspects of Christ's return and the resurrection and the perfection and the glorification of our bodies and the making new of all things. Heaven and earth coming together just as God had intended, just as He had originally made it, but even better. It's God's plan, what? To ultimately bring Himself glory. And the beauty of it is we get the benefit of that. God gets the glory, we get the benefit. And so what are the implications of this? There's three implications this morning we're going to hit on. The first one, one word, victory. Victory. Paul instructs, he says, set your minds on things above not on earthly things. How can we do that? Through the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross. Through putting our sin to death and living in light of our our spiritual resurrection in Jesus. We have victory over sin. God has given us His Spirit that lives within us and gives us victory over the desires of our flesh. And if you're sitting in this room and you're feeling bad about yourself because you're struggling with sin, thank God because you're struggling with it. Because if you're not spiritually alive, you don't care if you sin. If you're sitting in here right now and you're like, oh God, I want to be more like Christ. That's the Spirit of God inside of you testifying to you and rubbing against you and pointing you back to Him. Praise God for that. Our flesh no longer dominates us but rather the Spirit of God rules over us. Christ is Lord. We have victory over the strongholds that once gripped us. 
Again, the words of Spurgeon, though no man is free from the commission of sin, yet every converted man is what? Is free from the love of sin. Be free from the love of sin through Jesus Christ. Paul instructs, again, set your mind on things above. A better translation of this may be, seek things above. Seek God. And I want to be clear because we can mess this one up. This is not saying we're always looking towards an escape from earth. God has you here for a reason. We talked about that earlier. Jesus came here for a reason because he cares about his creation. He loves his creation. Each day when he created, he said what? It is good. Then when he created humanity, he he said what? It is very good. God loves his, his creation. His plan culminates in, in the making new or recreation of all things. And an implication of that, that victory is that we should care about this place. When we identify ourselves with our Savior, we want to act like our Savior and Jesus came in the flesh to save people, to impact His creation. And so our heart's desire should not always to be, man, I just want to get out of this place. I just want to go away. And here's the thing. Paul struggled with that too. We read in one of his letters, he's, he's struggling with the tension of, God, I want to be with you, but I know you have a mission for me, so you're aligned with the greatest missionary that's ever lived on the face of the planet, the Apostle Paul. If you struggle with, God, I just want to be with you. But Jesus came into history, and we, our identity is rooted within him, and so we want to act like him. We want to influence this place that he has called us to. And the beauty of it all is that we have victory through his victory on the cross, through his resurrection. Number two, the second implication we have assurance. We have assurance. Verse 3 3 Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Be confident. If you are in Christ, you are saved. If you struggle with sin, that's a good sign that the Spirit is within you. Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will what? Will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If you are truly in Christ, nothing can rip you from his grip because we have confidence that he will carry his work on to completion. And the beauty of that is that it is Jesus that holds on to us. It's his work that holds on to us. It's his spirit that keeps driving us back to him. We have assurance. Jesus himself says this in John 6.37, All those the Father gives me 
will come to me. And whoever comes to me, what? I will never drive away. I will never leave you. What incredible confidence we have. That we have victory and assurance. If I have Christ in me, I can't mess this thing up. Because if you're anything like me, I'm a mess up. There's another way I could say that, but I'm not going to say that in church. I'm a mess up. I mess things up all the time. But I have the assurance of Christ in me that he will be faithful to complete his work. Romans 8, 14 to 17. I told you we were going to dance around a little bit this morning. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Listen to that confidence. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. You're a child of God. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, what is he saying? It's not all going to be good. This life is going to be tough. We share in his sufferings in order that we may also, what? Share in his glory, the good news. I'll say this, if your life is too perfect, you probably need to check yourself. I'm not going to paint a rosy picture this morning. Jesus isn't going to fix all your felt, tangible problems that you have in your life. Again, there's a dangerous movement in the church. that Jesus, You just place your faith and trust in Jesus. He's going to fix everything for you. You just need a little bit more faith. And you need to send me a little bit more money. And he's going to fix everything for you. Jesus doesn't promise that. What he does promise is that we will suffer like he has suffered. And I want to be clear about that because I don't want you to be disheartened and think that God is punishing you for some reason because you're going through a hard time. You're a child of God. And even God's Son suffered the most gruesome death in the history of the world on the cross. But the beauty of it is, even though we may struggle and we may suffer and life may be hard, that we can look forward to the glory that we have in Christ because we are aligned with both His suffering and what? His glory. Number three. So we have victory. We have assurance. We have participation. Participation. We don't just get to, to sit back and watch the show unfold. We're part of God's story. God loves you so much that He has taken you from your sin and He has placed you in the middle of His redemptive story. Isn't that amazing? That's how special you are. That's how much God loves you. You're a participant in His story. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You're a participant in that. 
We participate in the work of the kingdom. Where's Christ seated? He's seated at the right hand of God. He's in control. His kingdom is here and now. It is present. Now there's a tension because it's, it's present, but it's not fully consummated until he comes back. But we can look around in this room and we can know that his kingdom is breaking through spiritually because there are followers of Christ filling these seats of this room. God's work is, is going out all around the world. It's growing and expanding as God's people are brought into the light through faith in Jesus Christ. We're participants. We have purpose. We're not just robots sitting behind the scenes awaiting the future. We're active in God's plan. We're called to participate in His work. We're going to finish with this. Matthew 28, 18-20. Jesus doesn't just let you sit back and relax. He says this to His disciples. And this has been passed along to you as followers of Christ. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Lordship of Christ, right? All authority has been given to Him. So do this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just fire insurance. It's not just a ticket out of hell. He says, I want you to teach people to obey me. I want you to help people to identify with me spiritually, to die to sin, to be risen to new life in me, and to be my witnesses, to be my reflectors in creation. Verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then he adds this little tagline, and surely I am with you always to what? To the very end of the age. Christ is always with us. We're not lone rangers. We have the Spirit of God within us. And we have our church family around us. As we march forward on the mission that God has called us to, which is to reflect the light of Christ in this community, in this place, and to love people right where they're at. Don't shy away from being a participant in what Christ has called you to be in this community. Jesus wants more for you. And this morning as we move towards the finish line, we were reminded each and every week of the gospel, of the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How are we reminded of that? Because each and every week, we can come to the table and we can receive communion. We can hear the Word of God preached and we can reflect on ourselves. We can look at our hearts 
We can continually slay sin in our lives by coming to the table and being reminded of what Christ has done for us. The great cost that Christ paid to free you from sin. We're reminded of each and every week as we come to the table. There's communion tables all around the room. The bread represents Christ's body that was broken for you on the cross. And the juice represents the blood of Christ. That's an atonement for your sin, a covering. When God sees you, He sees the righteousness of His Son. Remember that as you come to the table and then live in light of that through being repentant in your heart. Analyzing yourself. Asking yourself questions. What are ways that I've shut myself off from doing the work of Christ in this community? God, I repent of that. And I'm going to live in light of the mission of Christ. If you're in this room and you've heard the gospel preached, you've heard what, what Jesus has done for you, and there's something stirring inside of you, you've never given your life to Christ, you want to come forward and you want to participate in communion, you can do that this morning. It's the same conversation that Jesus had with Martha. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus lived the perfect life? Do you believe that he, he died on the cross covering your sin? And do you believe he came back to life by beating death in the grave in his resurrection? If you believe in that and you want to give your life to Christ, you can do that this morning. Pray to yourself and, and cry out to him and say, God, I trust you. I am lost and I am sinful and I want you to guide me. I want you to lead my life. And then come forward to the table and receive communion as a follower of Christ for the first time. And if you've made that decision, there's going to be elders across the front of the room. I would encourage you to stop and talk to one of them. They can pray with you.